Welcome to another edition of the official Jets podcast. Hope everyone's been enjoying the podcast profile series. I know we have. It's been a been a fun project throughout the offseason, and to be able to share it is great. Now, we're getting really into the thick of things. Training camp around the corner. We're going to talk about some training camp items, maybe some position battles, and then we have Steve Weish on the podcast on a sad note because Weish wrote this great article on NFL.com detailing the life of Greg Knapp, who passed away at 58 years old and, of course, was going to have a prevalent role here with the Jets as an assistant coach. I think the New York Jets organization, uh, from the top down, they start training camp with heavy hearts. If you read what people have said about Greg Knapp of late, it's amazing the connection he had with people, staffers, fellow, fellow coaches, the players. He loved teaching. And he also was a guy with a smile on his face every day, lived life with a tremendous passion. And I think there's a lot to learn from a guy like uh, Greg Knapp because he connected to people. And he did such a great job in the National Football League. He was entering his 26th season. But beyond that, he left such a legacy that a lot of people who came into his life, they exited that meeting or that introduction or those experiences better people and I, I think you saw the impact he had on the current roster even in a short amount of time just based on players reactions on social media I mean Zach Wilson of course worked a lot with Greg Knapp throughout the spring he posted about him on Instagram and I think you really saw the ripple effect that Greg Knapp had in the organization in a short amount of time and we're going to detail more with Steve Weish, who I think brought up a great point. You don't stay in the, in the NFL 25 years without being really good at what you do. And with that being said, you know, we'll get to that in a little bit. But training camp is around the corner, which is crazy to think about because it feels like yesterday we were in the studio talking about Robert Sala as the new head coach of the New York Jets. And now Fast forward about six months, and he's about to take the field as head coach of the Jets for the first time in his first training camp. Yeah, and how about that? It's been a quick 40 days since the Jets finished that final mini camp practice. And then 40 they, days? Yeah. It it, like 40. That's what Salah said, I think, at the end of mini camp. You take those 40 days and see how you can better yourself individually. And now the Jets are going to come together collectively and what Salah is looking forward to with this group. And I think this is just in his DNA, his makeup is how will they ultimately respond to adversity? Because the Jets are a young team, a young roster, and they're going to go full throttle, full speed ahead, but there will be bumps in the process. And also remember that this is the first training camp or and really the first preseason that have had three preseason games mm -hmm. The cuts timeline in terms of when you have to reduce the amount of players on your roster a little different this year. And the Jets will have two joint practices as it stands, one in Green Bay, then hosting the Eagles here. And, you know, there are a couple of different things I think we should get into. But training camp, the pads come on next week. Right now, it's like an acclimation period when the players come back. They'll report, then they'll have similar to what was OTAs and minicamp in terms of style and shells and no pads and then before you really ramp it up and i'm curious just to kick things off here which jet 
are you most excited to watch in training camp? How about which new Jet are you most excited to see in training camp for the first time? Uh, I would say Carl Lawson because we weren't able to watch these guys with the pads on, and he's a dynamic pass rusher. So I think you'll get a better sense of what he's able to bring to the table. And not only just because the pads are going to be on here in a few days, but also because Lawson, he wasn't at all the off-season workouts that we were able to witness on the field. And he is a game-changer potentially for this team, for this defense. And I think he's entering a system that suits him quite well. And you're getting a guy who's 26 years old, and I think he's really relishing the opportunity with this team. I'm in a similar vein as you are because we didn't see this player a whole lot in the spring, but because he was sidelines, Corey Davis. Mm. And Corey Davis, uh, another young ascending player. And Corey Davis in Tennessee, we've documented before his success in this LaFleur offense. Now, what Matt LaFleur and what Mike LaFleur will do, probably a little different, but also a little similar as well. And I think that you saw what he could do last year in Tennessee where he was 16 yards shy of a thousand yards and working with a rookie quarterback and two other quarterbacks who, who haven't taken a snap in the NFL. I think Corey Davis will be a stabilizing presence on the outside and he's not on the physically unable to perform list. He's not on the non-football injury list, which you would assume means that he's ready for activities. Yeah. You would imagine he would be in, you know, when we talk about Lawson, talk about Davis, the Jets' best positional group, you can make the strong argument that it is indeed the defensive line. But the Jets' most improved positional group on paper, I would say it's the wide receiver position mm -hmm. because you had Corey Davis in free agency, you had Keelan Cole, a versatile uh, player, was very productive with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then Elijah Moore, we saw glimpses of what he is on the field out there in the spring. And I, I think Moore is going to be a very good performer for this team, not only as a rookie, but in the years to come. And then don't forget about Jameson Crowder because he became an afterthought in the spring just because we didn't see him a lot, at least when mm -hmm. we were out there on the field. And then he had the acclimation period. But Zala expects him to make plays in the LaFleur-led offense as well. Also, I think what excites a lot of Jets fans is each year the rookie class. And of course, this rookie class headlined by Zach Wilson. You mentioned Elijah Moore. Also, the first time we'll see Elijah Vera Tucker in pads yeah. as a New York Jet. But is there a rookie, whether it be the guys I mentioned, let's say excluding Wilson and Moore, or just excluding Wilson? Well, how about the storyline now that we're taping here on Monday? The Jets are reporting the training camp on Tuesday, the first. Practice will mm -hmm. be on Wednesday. Uh, by the time many people listen to this podcast, the Jets will already be on the practice field. But how about those practices in Green Bay, the 18th and 19th? Because earlier today, it sure seems like Aaron Rodgers is going to be there for the Packers this year. And one guy that the rookie who's going to be slinging it for the Jets here in training camp has been compared to a lot, to not because he's going to duplicate the success he's had, but just from a stature standpoint mm -hmm. and his athleticism and the way he can bring it from all different angles, Zach Wilson. Yeah. I also think that would be a great experience for Zach Wilson after going up against just the jets defense throughout the spring. And then the first 
week or two of training camp. And also the Jets receiver is going to see Jair Alexander, assuming he's healthy. That's a pretty good corner that the Packers have. But going back to my original question, is there a rookie? You got to go back. Is there a rookie that you're excited to see in pads that's not Zach Wilson? Well, Vera Tucker, uh, you know, and obviously the Jets feel like they got first, uh, the three first round talents in the draft. And Joe Douglas loved this kid. He goes up nine spots in order to get him. And, you know, for my money, cleanest offensive line prospect, Makai Becton, who was dealing uh, with some soreness, I guess, during the spring, he's been cleared to go. So we'll be able to see that left side of the offensive line here early in training camp. And I just want to see Vera Tucker with the pads come on because Mm -hmm. we just talked about it before. This is very good Jets defensive line. So let's see how he lines up early on in his career. And then let's move on later in the draft class. I'll take two guys for you. Oh boy. I think you're about to take my guys. Is it it a linebacker or two? No, no, I'm going to leave the linebackers to you. I'll go on the outside and take Jason Pinnock out of Pittsburgh because I think he brings a physical presence to the game. He's a big guy, had very good ball production at Pittsburgh. Let's see how he fares once the pads come on and you can see the cornerbacks get after it a little bit more in terms of press coverage and, right. and, and getting their hands on receivers. Uh, yeah, you know, Pinnock was going to be – I was thinking about going with Pinnock, but I'm excited to see Jamie Sherwood and Hamza Nasruddin mm. in pads because those are two guys who were – box safeties in college and now they're full-time linebackers and how are those guys going to translate to being full-time linebackers and this is step one i know mini camp was step one but this is really step one because it's with pads on and you can really start to hit people and get after people to simulate what will be the nfl for them so i'm curious to see how they acclimate in this defense and jamie and sherwood Listening to Jeff Ulbrich speak, the defensive coordinator is talking about how how Jamie Sherwood seems to already be in control of the defense, and at least up top, meaning he understands what his roles and responsibilities are. And I'm curious to see how that translates, if it does. And that leads me to my next question: How about a veteran in training camp that you that you're excited to see? And the reason why I'm bringing it up is, you know, I was thinking about the linebackers. First time we're seeing C.J. Mosley in essentially two years or a year and a half. And I think that C.J. looking a little slimmer. I mean, Quinn Williams said he looked a little slimmer, yeah. too. I, I think that C.J. Mosley has something out to prove, and he could potentially be a game changer for the Jets' defense. Well, there's no doubt about it, you know, and, and we're going to keep our eye on Mosley. But uh, let me go back a level. Um Marcus May starting camp on the NFI list. How about LaMarcus Joyner? Because the Jets like what he brings from a coverage perspective. He's a safety. You can come down and play that nickel spot. And he also, in base, you figure you can use Marcus May maybe more as your box safety where LaMarcus kind of handles center field. But then in sub packages, you know, he's a natural to come down and play some man-to-man, and that's mm-hmm. what the Jets like about him. And then that's a crowded offensive backfield. Who's going to separate themselves? How many running backs are the Jets going to keep? How about LaMichael Pirine, the second-year player out of Florida? I want to see how it all shakes out for him this summer. Yeah, I like the Pirine. I like that you brought up Pirine because last training camp, I think you could make the argument LaMichael Pirine had one of the best camps 
not even among rookies. Like he had a very impressive camp. Then he got hurt. Yeah, I think it yeah. was a green and white practice when he uh, rolled his ankle, had an ankle sprain, and then he battled a couple injuries throughout the season Didn't as well. Didn't he have like a 75-yard or 80-yard scamper in one of he these did. practices early He did, on? and that was against the first-team defense yeah. as well. Yeah. So I, I do think that I'm I'm very interested to see LaMichael Piran. You mentioned Jamison Crowder. I want to see how quickly he can get on the same page with Zach Wilson because Jamison Crowder – is a quarterback friendly option no matter where he's been he's always been a quarterback friendly option because he's quick in and out of his breaks he knows how to find holes in the defense whether that's man coverage or zone coverage and i think that he could be a real nice addition to this offense that has elijah moore Corey davis keelan cole denzel mims i'm also i mean i mentioned i really should talk about mims because he's another second year player who we didn't see last training camp at all he was hurt all of last training camp so what does he look like when the pads come on, when he can be a little physical? And on the defensive side of the ball, there's two guys that I'm interested in. One of them is Sheldon Rankins because mm. he's one of the guys that you saw flashes in New Orleans, how good he could be. He had that one year when he had eight and a half sacks from the interior, which is very impressive. And in addition to that, I mean, I might be a sucker for the second-year players, okay. but how about Bryce Hall? Yes. You have Bryce Hall with – an off season under his belt. And also remember last year, he didn't participate in training camp. He was recovering from the injury that ended his college career. And then he basically played half a year coming off the physically unable to perform list. How, how improved can Bryce Hall be in his second year? I think those are the guys that I have my, eye if you're on. a cornerback here and you're on the Jets roster, this is a land of opportunity. Mm -hmm. You look, about and say hey there are some young guys who are talented here there are some young guys who are unproven but if you're here and you're looking to make your way i mean this is a team you want to be on i mean you would say externally it is a big question mark there's no doubt about it not because there aren't guys who can't make plays or not good football players it's just we haven't seen it maybe for a long time in the nfl or you have a trio of rookies. You're talking about Brandon Eccles from Kentucky. You're talking about MC2 from Duke. You're talking about Jason Pinnock from Pittsburgh. Where do they fit into the equation? Um, so it's a land of opportunity on, on the outside and on the inside. Javelin Gidry did a lot of good things for the Jets last season. I'm a big fan of his, but Michael Carter II, uh, he did some good things in the spring, and he brings a lot of intangibles to the table that you like. And uh just going off of the three training camp battles to watch story yeah. on NewYorkJets.com. We talked about linebacker a little bit with the rookies. Also got to factor in Blake Cashman into yes. the equation, who's been battling injuries his first two years in the NFL, alongside C.J. Mosley and Jared Davis. You just mentioned the corners and also backup quarterback right now. Like If you assume Zach Wilson's the guy at number two and he's the starting quarterback week one, right now the roster is Zach Wilson. Mike White, James Morgan, they all have combined zero NFL starts. Yeah. So how do Mike White and James Morgan separate themselves from each other if they're, in fact, the ones competing for the backup spot? You know, is that the preseason, which James Morgan, like Mike White's played in a preseason game. James Morgan is not. All the rookies last year who did not play, I think, is James Morgan and Cameron Clark off the top of my head. 
their preseason games will be their first NFL action. Yeah, listen, this is James Morgan's first professional season because you think about last spring, these guys weren't getting any reps on the field. So he gets drafted in the fourth round, gets no reps in the spring, and the first time he's out there on the field is training camp. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you're trying to get your starter those top reps. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if Joe Douglas makes a move at the quarterback position, meaning does he bring in a veteran, how early does he do it? Or to your point, does Joe Douglas, Robert Sala, Mike LaFleur take a look at how things progress here early in camp before they make that kind of play? And you started you started getting me thinking about the wide receivers when you talked about Crowder and Moore. I, I don't know if people are looking at this the wrong way, meaning that, hey, it's either Crowder or Moore. I think yeah. sometimes you're going to put your best personnel packages on the field. And for the Jets, that could mean a lot of packages with Jameson Crowder and Elijah Moore. Yeah, I think it's a great point, especially when you consider – what Robert Sala and Michael Floor were talking about that Elijah Moore has that inside outside versatility, especially in this offense. When you consider the amount of lateral movement that mm -hmm. goes on, whether that's a jet sweep or just to use that as an example, Elijah Moore has that ability and he has the speed to do it. And how about the motions we're going to be watching from this offense too. That's going to be different. And we've seen that in San Francisco the last four years, you go back to Atlanta and stuff like that. It used to a lot of pre-snap motion. I think the 49ers led the league in pre-snap motion yep. last season. So that's just something to keep an eye on. Honorable mention, we I mean, the kickers, Sam Ficken, Chris Nagar. We'll see what happens in camp. I mean, that's like your quintessential training camp battle where it's one, you know, it's mano y mano, two people fighting for one job. Um, and you know, I, I think before we hear from Steve Weish, I just want to get your take is there any other storylines that you really that you have your eye on well it's the three preseason games it's the it's the two joint practices you know you're going to be in green bay and then the next week you come back after playing the packers on a saturday night and all of a sudden you're in there with the eagles and i think this is going to be very valuable for sala and the coaching staff and joe douglas and the personnel staff because they'll be able to watch their players compete against yes different personnel but also different systems and, and i think when you're talking about working in a rookie quarterback uh it this is all about youth too randy lang wrote about on newyorkchess.com the other day one of his great inside the numbers pieces that this is the youngest jets roster at this point than it has been in two decades so the average age of a Jet player out there in training camp is just a little bit over 25. And then take that further. The longest tenure players on this team, do you know who they are? I do. Marcus May yep. and Thomas Hennessy. And they're both entering year five. Mm -hmm. This is all about a youth movement. But the talent has definitely got better here on the field. Now it's going to be fun watching these guys yeah, and early on, you're going over a lot of review because you did the installations in the spring, right? But then we're going to see these guys compete not only against the Giants. I love the fact that you're getting in there 
those joint sessions with the Packers and then the Giants. I mean, the Packers and then the Eagles. And then you had that long break, which is interesting this mm-hmm. year. Yeah, I think that's – I think probably a lot of teams will like that where they have a little bit of time before they can start preparing for week one. And for the Jets, that'll be when they prepare to travel down to North Carolina to take on the Panthers. And that's that's a training camp preview right there. Now let's hear from Steve Weish. Steve, thanks so much for joining us here on the official Jets podcast. You know, EA and I just broke down training camp, and we said that the Jets are starting training camp with a heavy heart with the passing of Greg Knapp. And you wrote a great article on NFL.com about Knapp. And from your time around Knapp and hearing others speak of him, what kind of person and what kind of effect did Greg Knapp have in the different places that he coached? Yeah, man, I, I appreciate you guys having me on, especially to talk about this. Look, I met Greg back in 05 when I covered the Falcons. He was the offensive coordinator there when Jim Moore was the head coach. Um, and, and the one thing about Greg that has carried on, because he's been with so many teams, you know, Atlanta, Oakland, Seattle, Denver, the Jets, Houston, is that he was a real positive guy, very upbeat guy. Like players, you know, you saw some a lot of the player reaction, you know, from Matt Ryan, from Todd McClure, a lot of offensive linemen, from Matt Schaub. Um, just a very positive guy. Like no matter what was going on, lost a ball game or he makes a you know questionable series of calls or whatever, he was just always that guy saying, Hey, look, we're gonna get to the next play, we're gonna we're gonna make this happen. It was constantly educating. And you know, I'm not the only media member who could say this, but you know, Nap would always take time to spend with us to, you know, I would ask him, like, hey, look, I know you run this West Coast scheme, but I saw when you got in this situation, you guys did this, or this defense responded like this, and you countered with that. And he would take the time to really educate. Um, and, and, you know, I think a lot of the guys in the media really appreciated that. But more than anything, you know, Napper was just just a super positive guy. Like, he would have been so good for this Jets locker room with so many young players, you know, especially Zach Wilson and everything that's going to be thrown at him to have that positive voice in his ear, uh, no matter what. I mean, just a real encouraging guy. And uh, that's why what happened with his death, his tragedy is just just so painstaking. How rare is that kind of guy in this business? Sometimes it can be so cutthroat from a player perspective, from a coaching perspective, for even from a media perspective. But everybody who's talked about Greg recently has just – raved about that positivity that presence that he was always uplifting people yeah look i mean a lot of you know it's rare and and i wrote this in this column because and you guys know this most coaches you you talk about it being cutthroat at some point these coaches are going to speak negatively about a player or speak negatively about a coaching staff or coaches on a staff he'd been on here or there because they're trying to climb up that rung right they're trying to get up to be that coordinator to be that head coach greg knapp was always very comfortable um, being an OC or being a quarterback coach, or being a passing game coordinator. Um, he, he didn't, you know, necessarily want to use others to benefit himself. You know, he was going to where he's going to get by on his own merit and his own connection. So it was just real positive having a guy like him, you know, around, and, you know, again, like dealing even with the media, you know, you would see, you know, on the field before games, everybody running up to him, napper, hey, napper, hey, napper. You know, and that's really important again for a locker room and just relationships to have somebody who's not trying to backstab another coach so he can move up, you know, the food chain or things like that. And again, I think Napper 
just always being secure in who he was and what he was was vastly important to any coaching staff in any locker room. You know, you mentioned in your previous answer about the impact you thought Greg Knapp would have in this locker room, the youngest Jets team in 20 years in July. You know, what kind of coach, we often talk about the person Greg Knapp was, what about the type of coach and influence he had? Well, look, he, he'd be paired with Michael Fuhr, right? But they come from the same background in terms of the offense that they want to run. West Coast principles, um, you know, with a lot of the schematic tendencies, the stretch zone run scheme, things like that. So I, I think, you know, what he would be able to do, he was always the voice in the ear. Like, even if somebody else is the offensive coordinator, he tended to be the voice relaying that call into the quarterback's ear. So let's say the quarterback just made a terrible read on the play before. He may come on the call and say, hey, don't worry about it. Just get on to the next play. We'll, we'll fix it, you know, next time we have an opportunity. And, and so I think with this locker room, again, because he was so jovial, you know, Nap was a real tall guy, about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, had this kind of, you know, old school uh, John Travolta slick back hair, <laughs> um, you know, and, and he just would have been the type of guy if, you know, running back misses a block or has or just just struggles through a practice or something. He's going to say some things to make that player not think about what just happened. Or if there's a dispute in a, in a, in a coaching room, you know, he'll listen, listen, and then all of a sudden say, okay, hey, look, you know what? This is on me, whatever. He'll, he'll take the blame. He would shoulder the blame or something for something that happened with someone else just to kind of keep it moving. Because in this, in this sport, in this profession, if you linger – for too long on anything, it's going to come back and have a negative effect. And he just was not that guy. And I just think, you know, with a young locker room, to be able to have the ability to teach, but to also have guys looking forward, um, you know, look, he's not Ted Lasso positive and he didn't have all the, the, the quirky colloquialisms, but he had that type of effect where guys are like, you know, what, what he's saying is kind of, is kind of right. And, and I kind of want to be part of that. But he was a fun guy. You said he's not oh, necessarily yeah. like Ted Lasso. But speak to the humor he brought to the table and just his enthusiasm for life because uh, you had a good anecdote following an Atlanta Falcons practice where him and Jim Mora used to take off for the hills. Yeah, look, there's a big hill to facility, and they would run it every day. And, you know, look, last time I saw a nap, he needed to hit it hit a little bit harder. He put on a few LBs over the past couple of years. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but look, I mean, he, he was, he, he was a dry witted guy. You know, he wasn't the dude who was always out there. You know, it was, it was all about timeliness, you know, a good, a good comic, a good comedian strikes hot when he, when he, when he has the perfect time knowing when to deliver something a certain way. And, and, and that was Greg. Um, he just would not let a guy – I'm sure you talked to any of the quarterbacks he dealt with. And, look, he really helped out players like Matt Schaub. Schaub, back in the day, you know, when he was in Houston, he was one of the first guys to have consistent 42, 43, 100-yard passing seasons with a lot of things he did. And, and, and Knapp was his OC. Um, you know, he had Michael Vick when I was there. And, look, and Vick was tough to handle back then. I mean, he, you know, Michael Vick would admit he wouldn't – you know, he wouldn't study the playbook very much. And Knapp and those guys knew it, but they would still work with him in a way instead of saying – you know, hey, look, we're going to pound on you for not doing your homework. They're like, okay, let's make sure we can improvise and do the things that we need to do because we know where some things are lacking here or there. But he always kept it in a way where it never got bogged down mentally, stress-wise, 
things like that. And you know, over now we're playing 17 games. You talked about the Jets having a young team, a rookie quarterback. That's going to be important. That's where Mike LaFleur and all these guys are really going to have to step in and just really, really be positive and encouraging uh, to Zach Wilson, you know, because there will be mistakes made. Just listening to you talk, Steve, makes me think about Knapp taking this position because that speaks to everything who he is, right? Because Mike LaFleur hasn't been in a league that long. He's in his early 30s, but Knapper said – Hey, I'm 57, 58. I've worked with a lot of Pro Bowl quarterbacks. I've been a coordinator in this league, and I'd be more than happy to be the passing game uh, specialist here. Oh, yeah. And look, you know, and people are like, what's a passing game specialist? I mean, this is the guy who breaks down all the situational stuff, does the special projects. Okay, this is what this defensive personnel, this is what they like to do. This is what the coordinator does. This is how this cornerback bites on stuff. Then he works with the coordinator to come up with schemes in the passing game, including protections. Um that, that really work. I mean, again, that experience and to be able to have that voice, Michael Ford's never called plays, right? So to be able to have that voice to get in a quarterback's ear to help guide them through situations, you can timing is everything. When you've got that 35 seconds on that clock to get that play in before, and then at 15 seconds, that, that, that monitor and the helmet goes off, you know, that is a case. That is a gift. That is not an easy thing to do. And Knapp is a guy who could really help LaFleur, get it to help Zach Wilson get it um, everything that goes on without meddling again he is not a guy who's not going to step in when he's not asked unless it's something that there's a crisis management type of situation so again just just so many things that he brought to the table and would have brought to the table for the Jets it's just absolutely crushing um, you know what happened to him that he's no longer with us and and trust me there's so many people on the league we're going to be out of service uh, this upcoming weekend and, and really going to feel Greg Knapp's presence um, every day and, and especially every Sunday and Monday night this season. Steve, one last question from me. What do you think it says about Greg that he was able to make such a large impact just based on the reaction from social media, just from Jets players, and he was hired, what, in January, January. and now it's right. July? I mean, he, he was easy, man. He, he was just, you know, there's some coaches, you know, they come in and their head's on fire all the time and they've got him. Well, presence is me being big, you know, and, and, and this type of stuff. And that's kind of like, hey, you know, I'm here. I'm here if you need me. All right, guys, let's get in the room. Let's go over this stuff. And, you know, he's not someone who would put that adding, added burden on pressure. These guys have so much to deal with as it is learning their playbooks and, and, and a million other obligations they have to do. And Knapp was just the kind of guy, you know, we all have that buddy, you know, in high school or college who just comes in. You're like, thank God he's here because I'm tired of listening to this guy. I really don't want to be in this environment right now. I can sneak out of the room with this dude. We can go get a soda, beer, whatever, um, and and just unwind for a little bit. And and, and Knapp was that guy. That's why, that's why the you know, the example I gave um, in the column I wrote, you know, him and Jim Moore, like Knapper, let's hit it. I mean, those, those two-hour practices were a grind. Let's go run this hill just to kind of get the rest of everything out of us before we have to go back in these meetings. Nap was the guy who Mora sought out. I mean, they were best friends, but just to say, okay, let, let's go decompress. And, and and I think that's something Nap really brought to the players um, in such a short time with the Jets. Well, we are all praying for his wife, his three daughters, his brother, his extended NFL family. With all that being said, I hate even – bring it back to football, but 
what now is on the horizon for Robert Sala, who has already shown himself to be a tremendous leader throughout his coaching tenure in the National Football League? We talked about Mike LaFleur before, and they aforementioned Zach Wilson because Wilson, in his short time, was very connected to Greg Knapp. Yeah, I mean, and look, that that's the interesting thing. That's a conversation that's going to need to be had with these young players because think about, you know, when you were 22, 23, 24, we, we didn't know too many people maybe other than uh, grandparents or something like that who died, right? This is someone, this is like their first real-life workplace, you know, hurdle to overcome. And, 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 and it's, I mean, I remember my first job in Richmond, Virginia. I'm dealing with guys getting divorces and people adopting kids. Like, yo, this is completely different from the structure that I've grown up around. And so this is where Robert Sala, who really has a lot of naps type of personality traits, quiet, easy, but handles business. That's where he's going to have to really get a grip on things. And, and LaFleur is going to have to step in and they're just going to have to really grind football wise but also have that ear in case, you know, someone wants to talk about Greg or talk about a situation where they lose a loved one, you know, something like this. When you talk to players from the 49ers who dealt with Sala, I mean, that was a huge, huge thing about him. I mean, he knew everything about every guy because he would listen and he would talk to them about it. And that's where he just really has to kind of step in at the beginning of training camp and, and address this with the team and say, look, if you guys want to talk about I'm here, Mike's here. You know, our player development people are, are over here. Just, just anything um, that you need. But, you know, we're also here to win football games. And, and so, you know, they've, they've got to keep, you know, the eye on the prize. But at the same time, again, have that sympathetic shoulder because these are young men who are going to need it for a lot of things going on in their lives. Awesome, Steve. Thank you so much for the time on the official Jets podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys.